Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue through our teachings in the Bible, and tonight's lesson is the letter Jude. Jude is uh, one of the last books in the Bible, um, and Jude was one of Jesus' four brothers. You know, when we look at his name in the Greek or the Hebrew, you know, his name is really Judah, you know, if it's properly pronounced. But Judah, you know, and one of his four brothers, you know, we, we looked at the you know, the writings of James, which is most likely translated into Jacob, you know, and uh, we see that none of his brothers followed Jesus pre-crucifixion. Um, you know, they were not impressed by their brother on some level. You know, I'm sure that, that Jesus was the goody two-shoes of the bunch, and they were not happy with the fact that Jesus never did anything wrong. So... Just imagine in your own families how you've had brothers and sisters that seem to be on mom and dad's good side and they never get anything wrong and how much you hate them. So I would imagine that would be very similar to the way that Jesus grew up. And in this family, you know, that, you know, he's the son of God. Okay, Jesus. You know, like, you know, Jesus doesn't do anything wrong. You know, why do I got to be always in trouble? You know, like, if you think about it, like natural family, you know, that Jesus was a baby. You know, he grew up in a family. You know, he had moms and a mom and a dad and two dads, you know. So it's already, you know, a mixed family. You know, and he's got a lot of half-brothers and sisters and, you know, there's a lot of tension. You know, I would imagine that they didn't grow up real rich, you know, as, uh, you know, we see in the, in the manger that they really had nothing, you know. And Joseph being a carpenter, you know, most likely they had, you know, minimal means. So, you know, that brings a lot of stress into a family. You know, when you have several kids, you know, it brings more stress. You know, and uh, obviously Jesus getting a lot of attention, you know, on some levels. You know, the only thing that we really see, you know, as Jesus has grown up is, you know, as he's about 12 or 13 years old, you know, he gets left in the temple as they, you know, came into town, and then the parents lost him, you know, and because, you know, he was at a certain time in his life where he could have been with mom, he could have been with dad, you know, so as they left, they would have just anticipated that he was with the other parent. You know, once you reach, a, you know, as of age, you know, all the male children would have gravitated and always been with the men, you know, and, but in that 12 or 13 range, you know, Jesus could have been with mom or dad and it, and it would have been normal, you know. So we don't see a lot of the way that Jesus grew up, but, you know, as we see as Jesus stepped into his ministry, his brothers didn't believe in his divinity. You know, that, you know, we know, you know, our brothers and sisters. Now obviously, you know, we believe that Jesus never sinned, which could have brought a lot of stress into the family. You know, if, if one child is the goody two-shoes and all the rest of them are just normal boys getting in trouble as, as boys do, you know, it, it could have brought some friction. But we do see how they've all, you know, turned to follow Jesus and became one of his disciples after his death and resurrection. You know, that they became leaders in the Jewish Christian communities. They became, you know pastors or leaders, you know, Jude was known as a traveling teacher, you know, and a missionary, 
you know, let's give us some background and, and some purpose of this letter. We don't know specifically who this letter has been written to, you know, but we can see by the way that it was written and it's, you know, in the literacy of the way the the letter is written and who it was written to, that they would have had to been of Jewish background because there's a lot of, you know, history that he's using. He's using Old Testament text. He's using Old Testament, you know, um, parables. You know, so most likely this letter was written to a community of Christians or Messianic Jews, you know, because of the writing style. You know, he uses, you know, popular Jewish literature that's not necessarily in the Hebrew Bible or the Pentateuch, you know, or the Torah, as they would say. You know, that he's using things that would be familiar to them. You know, that they would have grown up knowing these stories. You know, however, you know, Jude had become aware of a crisis that was in the church. You know, so it helps us to understand the design of this letter. You know, Jude begins by charging this church. You know, and, you know, it's similar to being brought charges against someone. You know, some of us know what that means. Other views, maybe not so much. But, you know, a charge is a formal accusation. So when you have charges against you, you know, it's a formal accusation. It doesn't mean you're guilty. It doesn't mean you're innocent. It just means that, you know, people are paying attention, that there's something wrong. You know, and it's a formal way to make a complaint or to say that something's wrong. You know, so the context, you know, of this charge is for the church to stand up as true Christians in their faith. You know, he's planning to, he said he was planning to write a longer work, you know, that would explore the salvation through the Messiah, but that project was delayed when he heard of the urgent news about this church. You know, and I think that this is kind of like a plug, you know, that he's talking about salvation through Jesus because What's really going on in the church is very similar to what's been going on in some of the other, you know, epistles and and other, you know, letters that we've been exploring. You know, that there's corrupt teachers, false teachers that are getting into these churches and trying to lead away from the divinity of the Messiah, trying to lead away from who Jesus is. Because if we can demote Jesus, as we see in our culture, then there is no repentance of sin. You know, if Jesus is just a good teacher, if Jesus is just a moral guy, you know, then, you know, we can just keep it moving. You know, if Jesus is truly the Son of God, if he truly is God, you know, then, and what he's done on the cross, you know, means that there has to be some sort of decision made on our part. Either we reject that, or we accept that, you know, and... What these teachers would come along and do is try to take away from the divinity of Christ and say that they can do whatever they want. You know, as we read in some of the other books. You know, however, you know, what's going on in this book, you know, he's addressing some of these similar things because Jude doesn't begin with how, you know, to contend or to stand up for our faith. You know, he he first goes into why. You know, it's because of these corrupt teachers that we have infiltrating the church. You know, that they're not teaching what Jude would say, you know, is is the target of why we would worship God or why we even go to church. You know, and 
you know, it's a change of the way we live, you know, that there's a moral compromise, you know, and it tells us that, you know, because of their moral compromise that they have bad theology. You know, he's saying that because of the way they're living, they don't believe in God, you know, and so often we run into people and so often we've been those people that we say we believe in God, but the way that we live contradicts that statement. You know, so many Christians today, you know, have a belief that Jesus is, you know, who they would follow or who, you know, they believe in. You know, and it's really just they want their golden ticket into heaven. But what they don't understand is that if we don't follow and obey him, then that contradicts what we say we believe. And he may very well say that he does not know us. And that's scary to me. You know, and I think that it's something that all of us as Christians have to really, you know, focus on at some point is what do you do with the cross? What does that mean to you? You know, and through that, you know, how does that affect your life and your lifestyle? You know, if you think you're good, you know, and that you understand the cross and you understand what it means and you understand how that changes you, then, you know, we're going in the right direction. You know, if we don't understand the cross and we just think that we can do whatever we want to do, then you may need to have some more conversations with Jesus. You know, and that's another aspect of what they're saying is because they're saying what Jesus has done on the cross gives them this license to sin. You know, all my sins have been forgiven. Jesus will just accept it. <clears throat> you know, and it gave them this polluted grace. You know, this grace that isn't the way that, that it's meant to be. That it gives me the license to sin. It gives me the license to do whatever I want to do. And, oh, it's all right with God. God, you know, Jesus took care of it. You know, which then, you know, begins to corrupt the way we think about money. And eventually, you know, it gets into our sex lives. And it means that I can do whatever I want to do, you know, and be immoral. And, oh, God will just forgive me. He understands. You know, so, you know, Judas specifically talking about these areas. And this is something that we've been looking at in the Gospel of John that we've been looking at it in Titus, we've been looking at it in Timothy, you know, it's a common theme that money and sex, you know, have a way of corrupting us in the way that we live. You know, and there's people that come along and and preach a polluted gospel or a false gospel that says that I can live however I want to live and it's okay with him. You know, and and it's not typically, you know, if we really read scripture, we begin to realize that certain things need to, to be changed because of who Jesus really is. So, you know, Jude is stating that they betrayed Jesus by rejecting his authority and his teaching. You know, Jude wants this church to know that the appearance of these teachers is no surprise. He warns everyone to stay away from them and by offering two sets of you know, three Old Testament examples. You know, the first trio is about the rebellious people who in the past, you know, received divine justice. You know, and biblically there's warnings. You know, I think that 
you know, there's warnings to stay away from certain types of, uh, of situations and, and certain people. Now, I also see that Jesus hung out with the people that the religious people would say that we're supposed to stay away from. You know, and I think that there's a balance in here. You know, I watched Jesus hang out with tax collectors and drunkards and prostitutes and notorious sinners, as most of us or all of us in this room are, you know, a notorious sinner. You know what I mean? So Jesus was hanging out with those people. But Jesus was also influencing that crowd. That crowd was not influencing Jesus. So if I can walk into that sphere and be a light into their darkness, that's one thing. But if I'm walking in that sphere and I'm going to evangelize at the party for Jesus, but yet I end up drunk, then, you know, their darkness is putting out my light. You know, so there's warnings that, you know, bad character corrupts good morals. You know, and what Paul, or what John is trying to get to is that, you know, when we allow the wrong teaching into, you know, our lives, it can, you know, it directs the way that we live and it directs who we hang out with. You know, and, you know, what I've learned is that, that people, places, and thing warning that we see in so many different contexts, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. You know, however, I believe that once we are firm on our foundation of, of our relationship with Christ, that we really honestly can walk anywhere and we aren't as influenced as we once were because our character is strengthened and we know who we are in Christ. You know, that, you know, I believe that I can walk just about anywhere and that temptation is not going to take me out, but that does not mean that I can hang out with it 24-7 every single day of the week and expect that it's not going to influence me. You know, and I have to be wise and I have to be humble, you know, in the sense that, you know, I influence people, but people can also influence me if I'm around them enough, you know, that, you know, my my flame or my light can be dimmed a little bit at a time and before I know it, you know, I can be influenced. You know, and this is the, the warning that, that John is giving them you know, because these teachers are influencing them more than they realize. So he, he makes these statements and uses these stories out of the Old Testament. You know, once again, this is why we can tell that he's speaking to, you know, Jewish Christians is because he's, you know, referencing these things and they would all know what it meant. You know, if you went into Greece or Rome and shared these stories, they'd have no context for it. And they would not know the significance of these stories, but everybody most likely grew up on these stories. So when John is referencing them, it would have an impact. You know, so he states that the Israelites who rebelled against God in the wilderness, they got exactly what they wanted and they died out there. And that's in the middle of nowhere. You know, and, you know, it's scary to think, but when we rebel against God, it influences us where we're headed. You know, next he he goes on to, to talk about, you know, how the angels who are imprisoned for the rebellion, you know, that they will face God, you know, and God's justice. You know, Jude is referencing, you know, the interpretation of a story in Genesis 6 that was a popular Jewish story out of the work of First Enoch, you know, where the sons of God, you know, which is interpreted to refer to angels who rebelled against God, 
then had sex with the women. You know, and this is, you know, where God is judging them accordingly. You know, and Jude links this story to the third example of Sodom and Gomorrah, where violent men tried to have sex with angels. You know, all these stories are about rebellion of God's order and God's word that lead to sexual immorality. And, you know, this is precisely the corrupt teaching that these, you know, false teachers are guilty of. You know, after this, Jude brings up another example of a popular Jewish text called the Testament of Moses, you know, which is likely, you know, like Enoch, you know, it was not part of the Old Testament scriptures. It was a creative retelling of Moses' final days, you know, and the, the words were based out of the Deuteronomy. So in this section, you know, Jude is quoting from Moses dies, you know, and there's a good angel that we consider to be Michael, you know, who was refuting the devil's accusations against Moses, but he decides to leave the final judgment for God alone. You know, now these stories seem kind of odd to us, but for the Jewish people, they would have been raised on this literature. You know, Jude's warnings, you know, make good sense. And the behavior of these corrupt teachers, you know, has ancient roots. You know, a lot of our corruption is is really rooted in our childhoods. You know, in the way that we grew up, in the way that we taught, in the way that we, you know, sinned when we were little. You know, a lot of us are still struggling with some of these sins, you know, decades later. You know, because they, you know, we're still rebelling against God. Now we're in the efforts of repenting of these things and surrendering these things and getting accountable for these things. And a lot of these areas are changing and, and healing, you know. But, you know, we didn't just wake up today and poof, I just, oops, I happened to sin. You know, we've been sinners since we were little kids. You know, we've been sinning in specific ways since we were teenagers. You know, and because we did not surrender to God or repent, you know, of our sins, you know, many of us, these sins have led us far, far, far away from God, you know, and we've, you know, had to face lots of corruption, lots of pain, a lot of darkness, you know, you know, and been to, to many places that we, you know, on some level, you know, had a hard time dealing with in the moment. But yet God has a funny way of bringing the worst parts of our lives around to bring him glory, you know. So, you know, you know, he's using these stories to show the rebellion against God's authority, that sexual immorality leads you down dark paths, that when we reject God's messengers or his word, you know, that it it guides us into, you know, dark places. So this he connects with the second trio of examples where they are about rebels who are corrupting other people. You know, so Cain murdered his brother. You know, and most of us know Cain for that story, right? You know, Cain and Abel. You know, it's it's a familiar story in most of our our childhoods and you know, or as we've come to know Jesus, we have a reference of Cain and Abel. But many of us don't know is that after Cain, you know, murdered his brother, you know, he went on to start a city. You know, and he built this city where violence reigned. You know, Balaam, who was a sorcerer, you know, was commissioned to curse Israel. And he could not curse Israel. You know, but what he ended up doing was luring them into idolatry and sexual sin. 
which brought on the corruption into Israel and brought their downfall. Korah was a Levite, you know, and he led a rebellion against Moses, and that it ended in a disaster for several Israelites. You know, this is bringing this second trio of teachings and, and, and stories that he's pulling out of the Old Testament that would have been very familiar to them and is familiar to most of us. You know, Jews uses this barrage, you know, of Old Testament images to describe these teachers, that they are like selfish shepherds that comes out of the book of Ezekiel. They are like clouds that give no rain that we see in Proverbs. Or they are like chaotic waves in uh, in Isaiah. You know, their self-absorption betrays their claim to follow Jesus. You know, because they create chaos wherever they go. You know, and I've been doing this a long time. You know, and there's some Christians that come along our paths that create a lot of chaos. You know, and that they instantly come into the situation and it's like everything's a roller coaster. You know, and we've had many of them, you know, come through here with a spiritual pride. You know, and they try to tell me that this is that and that is this. You know, and I love it so much. You know, as I I learn to handle it with more grace and learn to be patient. You know, because what I've learned is that there's brokenness. You know, there's brokenness in my life. There's brokenness in every one of our lives. There's brokenness in their lives. You know, and if we can repent to Jesus, then he begins to guide us out of our brokenness. If they can repent to Jesus, they can come out of their brokenness. But a lot of times, you know, in this spiritual pride, you know, that we don't want to listen. You know, and we're so self-absorbed that we think that we're right, that we create chaos around us. You know, so Jude concludes this warning by quoting from two other, you know, warnings out of one you know, ancient and one recent text, you know, and first comes out of the popular, you know, this popular book of First Enoch, which claims to be the container of a vision, you know, from the ancient figure, you know, Enoch, which is from the book of Genesis, which is tricky. So Jude is quoting from this, this opening chapter, Enoch, which is actually itself is quoting half a dozen other Old Testament texts. You know, so rather than quoting out of the Old Testament, he's going to this book. So they must have been really familiar with this book, in my opinion. You know, but what he's doing is he's quoting about these final days, you know, that Jesus, you know, God is going to bring justice, you know, that the, the final days of the Lord's justice on human evil. You know, then Jude matches Enoch's ancient warning with a more recent one from the apostles. You know, we see it in the writings of Peter, we see it in John, we see it in Paul, where they're all predicting these corrupt teachers would arise and they would distort God's good news about Jesus and they themselves would be echoing Jesus' earliest warnings about this very thing. You know, so the church you know, should it have, you know, no more convincing. You know, we shouldn't need more convincing. You know, they didn't need more convincing. 
they should, you know, be referencing the text. These are all things that they would be familiar with. You know, these are stories that we should be familiar with. You know, at the very least, we should be familiar with the New Testament, you know, and, and getting to know the Gospels, getting to know the writings of, you know, Paul, Peter, John, you know, and we should be recognizing, you know, when we hear some TV preacher say certain things that our ears should be like, whoa, that is not the Bible. You know, and when we hear, you know, other Christians state things, we'd be like, wait, where's that in the Bible? You know, and, you know, we should have a reference, you know, in in our lives that we have spent time in the Word, that we know what God is expecting of us. You know, and I believe that that's what John is trying to get across to them, is like, you know this stuff. You know, and we, on some level, should know these very principles and these stories and how, you know, what is happening when you go this way, what is happening when you go the right way, you know, if you respond poorly, what happens, you know, and when you respond correctly, what happens, you know, and I believe that that's the point that that Jude is trying to make in this story, you know, that we shouldn't need more convincing that, you know, there's people out there that are trying to represent Jesus and they are corrupt in what they are teaching. You know, <clears throat> you know these corrupt you know, teachers must be dealt with. You know, but I've learned that, you know, and this is me, that it, it's not my job to chase them around and, and try to, to correct them. I can only tr- correct myself and those that are around me. You know, I, you know, Pastor Mike last week, you know, made the statement of heresy hunters. You know, there's going to be things that I say that aren't 100% correct. Why? Because it's coming from my experience or my opinion, and, you know, I'm new at this. I've been doing this for 10 years plus, and, you know, I have a lot yet to learn. You know, so there might be an interpretation of something that I'm off with. And I know that five years ago that I may have interpreted things differently than I do today. You know, and I'm growing in my understanding. But this is where when you're growing in your understanding that you can say, Tom, Let's talk about this, and we can go into the Bible, and we can have a discussion, and we can look up what commentaries say. We can go to pastors, and we can say, you know, we need a a deeper understanding of what this means. I never want to stand up here and say, I know everything. You know, you need to do exactly what I say, because if you ever hear those words out of my mouth, you need to run from me. And, you know, and I believe that that's important, that there isn't anybody that has the entirety of the Bible figured out. You know, and if they're coming across that way, you know, honestly, you should run from them, you know, and that's my opinion, you know. However, I think that we're all trying to learn this stuff, you know, and I believe that the things I struggle with today shouldn't be the things I struggled with five years ago or ten years ago. I should be maturing and growing, you know, and obviously there's times that we go through dark seasons and, you know, we may struggle with certain sin patterns for a minute because we're not ready to surrender them. It doesn't mean that I'm, I don't believe that Jesus is the Lord. I'm just not letting him be the Lord. You know, and it, you know, and you know, I'm still running to the wrong things to find some sort of satisfaction or find some sort of coping, you know, in something that isn't Him. You know, and this is why it's important, you know, that these teachers are using money and sex inappropriately as some sort of way to find some freedom. You know, that grace from Christ through the cross, through the blood of Jesus, isn't enough. That you need, you know, X, Y, Z to somehow satisfy you. You know, and Jude is using this to to show how they're corrupt. 
you know, and he's using different metaphors, he's using different stories, you know, to describe, you know, how these things are contrasting and these things are, you know, you know, able to be seen very clearly. You know, next he goes into a metaphor and he describes that the community of God is like a new temple. You know, that we are built, we build our lives on the foundation of the most holy faith, which is in a reference or refers to the message of the good news about Jesus. You know, through the death and the resurrection for our sins. You know, that Jesus lived this perfect life. You know, he died a perfect death. You know, and that because he lived that way, he is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And by the blood of Jesus, our sins have been paid for. You know, and that's something that each one of us has to wrestle with. You know, C.S. Lewis said that, what do you do with the cross? You know, what do you do with Jesus and the cross? You know, he he's either a liar, you know, he convinced a bunch of other people to go to their deaths, or he was a lunatic, that he was just, you know, as insane as everybody else, and he convinced everybody he was something he wasn't, and everybody went to their death. Or he's the Lord, and the, he really is the Messiah, and then he paid the ultimate price for our sins, that has been foretold since the beginning of the Bible. You know, it's written into every, you know, every book of the Bible that there's this Messiah that's coming, you know, and that there's going to be a sacrifice, and there needs to be an atonement for sin, and that there's mercy and grace from God, you know, because he loves us. You know, and this is what we we find, that all of these stories come together through what Jesus did, you know, life, death, and resurrection, you know, for our sins. And this is the foundation. This is the foundation of our belief. This is the foundation of the church. This is the foundation of how Christianity comes out of, you know, old, you know, Jewish stories. You know, out of the Old Testament, you know, Christianity is risen because it's the foretelling, you know, of the Messiah coming through the prophets and through the law. You know, dating back from Abraham to Moses to David, it's everywhere written in the Old Testament that this is what is to come, you know. So he's making these statements that the church is built on this dedication, you know, of what Jesus has done, and that through our prayers that we devote ourselves to loving God, you know. And, you know, it's through our obedience that our integrity is strengthened and our faith is grown so that we can stay alert you know, from false teachers. You know, God will bring his justice and his mercy, but, you know, as we do his will, you know, we help each other by staying faithful to Jesus and his teachings. You know, and this is so important that we know his teachings, that we're not just going to church. You know, many of us have tried just going to church. hasn't worked out real well for us. You know, we've wasted a lot of years knowing a very little bit of the Bible, and going to church and continuing to sin and coming to church and putting our mask on, praise the Lord, hallelujah, brothers and sisters. You know, meanwhile, we live a completely different life outside of church and we're broken and we're in pain and we're using all the wrong coping mechanisms to get through our days and we're miserable. You know, and it's so important that we're growing in the understanding that Jesus is what we truly desire, and it's the only thing that can satisfy the, the deep desire inside of us, you know, to sin and to, to be satisfied that our spirit is filled and our heart is overflowing and our mind is renewed, you know, and that this is what Jude goes into and he starts praising God, that God will protect his people 
and he will keep them from falling far from his grace. You know, many of us have run really hard from God. We have run really hard from Jesus. And somehow, no matter how hard we run, we run smack dab back into him. You know, and many of us did not want to be here, including myself. You know, and somehow, in God's grace, in God's love, you know, he ends up at the darkest corner. He ends up in the, the, the scariest of places. You know, and that's where we end up meeting him. You know, and many of us have met Jesus in places that the church or religious people would say that that's not where you're supposed to meet Jesus. And yet, that's where he meets us. So it's like, well, this is my testimony. I don't know what to tell you. You know, Jesus started talking to me. I was high and I was immoral and this, that, and the other thing. And Jesus said, I love you. Come here. And you're like, ah, yeah, I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk to you in a couple of months. You know, and each one of us has a very a story that's similar to that. You know, we want Jesus or we want the freedom, but we don't want to pay the price, which means a surrendering and denying of ourselves. You know, but when we finally do, aren't we glad that we did? You know, and, and many of us have been wrestling with Jesus for a long, long time, and we finally said, you know what, I'm tired of doing it my way. You know, and his love meets us every single time exactly where we're at. You know, every single one of us got here on a bad day. That we did not show up trying to figure out Jesus when everything was going right. You know, most of us got sober when everything was absolutely the worst it could possibly be. <laughs> you know, whatever addiction we may struggle with, whatever sin we may have struggled with, the day that we finally started dealing with it was probably right after the worst possible day that we've ever had. You know, and many of us have been on the, the verge of losing just about everything that we, we hold dear. And in the process, we, we found Jesus, and we realized that we were missing this thing completely from the get-go. You know, and he's somehow restoring piece by piece, you know, all the things that we were about to lose or have lost. You know, and this is why we praise God, because he can do the things that we cannot do. You know, he can heal us, he can heal our families, he can heal our marriages. You know, and in the midst of it, sometimes we don't understand why things go the way they go. You know, but we praise Him anyway. You know, and I think this is the point that Jude's trying to make. You know, that this, this letter, you know, has a powerful puzzling, you know, side to it, especially for us, you know, modern readers. You know, why does he quote these texts that weren't considered part of the Hebrew Bible? You know, it's important to realize that the Jewish culture would have, you know, used these texts. You know, they were immersed in religion. You know, and they were similar to Paul using Greek and Roman gods. You know, that we see that he's referencing Zeus, you know, and other, you know, Greek and Roman mythology, you know, to get their attention because he's speaking to them in their place. You know, <clears throat> you know, just as, you know, we read through the Bible, is very agricultural. He's using seeds. He's using shepherds. He's using this. He's using that. Would have been a reference to, to everyone in that community. You know, for us, we have to, to really look at it from that perspective. You know, if we look at it and we don't think the Bible has anything to offer us because we live in a modern day and age, it's not hard to see once you get into the text that everything that they were struggling with thousands of years ago is the exact same thing that we're struggling with today because we're sinners. You know, and we use sin to cope. 
We use sin to manage. We run to sin. We don't like to turn to God. We don't want to humble ourselves. You know, and there's many different ways that God has, you know, gotten into our attention. You know, one of the ways that God got my attention, he used my horoscope. You know, I know that there's stories where I've used that story about my horoscope that's gotten other people's attention. You know, and it's like, well, God's not supposed to use those things. God can use whatever God wants to use. And we need to get over ourselves to think that it's supposed to happen a certain way. You know, because God reaches into our darkest of days and he uses all sorts of things. You know, and it's important that we see, you know, that this is what Jude is using. He's using something to get their attention that they would already have an understanding. You know, you know, and that he uses, you know, these early Jewish Christians, you know, that grew up reading all these Jewish books and that they would have been familiar with the Hebrew Bible, you know, and there's been many discussions and debates that, you know, that some of these books, you know, whether they should have been, you know, considered to be biblical texts, you know, should they be used as scriptures, you know, but regardless, you know, wherever, you know, whatever we read, you know, even though that there's books that aren't in the Bible, that doesn't mean that they can't bring some sort of important message to us. You know, just as Christians, that we read many different Christian authors, alive and dead. You know, that doesn't mean that they are writing the inherent word of God. You know, and we need to, to take into consideration that these are just men or women that are writing these words, and there can be revelations, but they, you know, are faulty, you know, just as we are faulty. You know, and they can have divine revelations, and there can be, you know, Holy Ghost moments for us. But that doesn't mean that everything that they wrote is 100% correct. And I think that we see so many times that Christians get in these arguments about this author versus that author, you know, this belief and this doctrine versus that doctrine. You know, and we lean more in those directions than we do with saying that I'm a a Bible-believing Christian. You know, and I think that that is the most important thing. You know, whether they're using these texts out of the old, you know, Jewish culture or we're using texts from the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s that we, you know, you know, use Charles Spurgeon and Wesley and, and many other, you know, men that have passed and someday Joyce Meyer will have passed and she'll leave behind her, you know, 13,000 books that she wrote, you know, but it doesn't mean that they're all perfect. You know, I think that there's a lot of great things. You know, there's a, a specific book that I use on the regular, and some of you have already read it. That's it's psychology. You know, it's not referencing Jesus at all, but it references the way that we think, and it's one of the best books to deal with that. It's better than any Christian book that I've read that you know deals with the roots to codependency. You know, and when we look at it, that we can find our way out of it, and the, the way out of it is Jesus. You know, I don't ever negate that. You know, but I, I say, you know, read this in the context that Jesus is the solution, but use what she's writing about to help you out of, the, you know, the the constant, you know, maze that, and the, you know, embracing our feelings versus, you know, living out truth that codependency leads us into these cycles that can can truly drive us insane. And so it's important that we realize that many different texts, many different, you know, literature. You know, many different books, many different letters can be used by God. You know, however, we believe that the Bible is 
completely the Word of God. You know, it's been given to us by the Holy Spirit. He's used men and women. You know, there's 40 different authors. There's 66 books. It's completely perfect. You know, and people will argue against that. You know, well, this book should have been in the Bible. That book should have been in the Bible. Well, we believe that the canon has been closed, that the Bible is sealed. It's exactly the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't matter what the Pope wants to do. It doesn't matter that this book or that book should have been added in there. You know, and there's a lot of, you know, you know, old Jewish writings that have a lot of good information in it. There's history and there's spiritual, you know, pieces that we can pick out of it. But for whatever reason, a lot of guys got together a long time ago and they, you know, prayed and, and voted and that they chose that these 66 books are going to be our Bible and everything outside of that is just information. You know, whether God wants to use it, whether the Holy Spirit moves through it, that's up to Him, not us. You know, and for me to argue that this should have been in there means that I am a very prideful, arrogant man, and I, I, sh- you shouldn't listen to me once again. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it's important that we humble ourselves and we realize that, that God can use anything. You know, we we read in texts that He used a donkey. You know, if He can use a donkey, He can use some of us. Many of us have been donkeys. Anyway, <clears throat> but you know, Jude focuses you know, on these teachers and their theology. You know, that their immorality and their ways of life deny Jesus. You know, so Jude is not, you know, applying, Jude is applying what Jesus first told his disciples, that if you really love me, that you will obey my teaching, you know, and for us as Christians, that we should live this way, you know, and we should deny ourselves, you know, and pick up our cross, and it shows what we actually believe. You know, that it's so important that, you know, we read in Scripture, you know, we try to apply it to the best of our ability and we'll always fall short. You know, that I need Jesus just as much today, if not more, than I did when I first met Him. The more that I think I know means the more that I probably need Him. Because I start resting on my own wisdom or I start resting on what I think I know or I start resting on, you know... You know, I've been doing this a long time. You know, I, I can fall in any second. You know, and it's important that we have accountability. It's important that we have brothers and sisters around us. It's important that we are in our word. It's important that we have a prayer life. It's important that we're learning to worship. It's important that we know how to get ourselves into God's presence, that it's not just at church. You can have it in your car. You can have it at your home. You can have it in, at your workplace. You know, all it takes is a moment in saying, God, I need you. And you open yourself up to let him move in your situations. You know, and it's so important that we don't allow the wrong teachings in to start to allow us to do things, you know, give us this this grace that, you know, allows us to, to sin in any way that we want. And it's like, oh, Jesus will pay for it. You know, and I know that we're all guilty of that, but I think that it's important that we, you know, have an honest perspective, you know, and saying, you know what, the cross has paid a mighty price. You know, I am a wretched sinner, and I am saved by that amazing grace. Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing, Lord, in each and every one of our lives. Lord, it's a miracle that we're even here. You know, I can only truly speak for myself, but I know that several of us in this room shouldn't be here, or that, you know, we could have died, you know, out there running and gunning. You know, that. You know, our sins, you know, wage a war. You know, and the penalty is death. And you paid that ultimate price. 
you know, that we could have freedom, that we could come to know you, that we could have a relationship with you. So, Lord, I just pray that you meet each and every one of us exactly where we're at. Help us to recognize false teaching, you know, even if it's in our own teaching, our own opinion. Lord, that we surrender, you know, what we think is right or wrong to your word. And we, you know, investigate your word to find out real, you know, true answers that we don't let our emotions dictate our decision making, that we allow your word, allow your truth, allow your spirit to guide us in everything that we do in this life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.